The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five stocks looking to limp over the finish line for the week. With the Dow and S&P set to snap a two-week win streak in the losses. They look set to continue this morning. A big change in one of America's biggest companies, as J&J says CEO Alex Gorski is stepping down. China's tech crackdown continues as it now claims to be cracking down on privacy. Tesla talking chips as it looks to make new inroads in artificial intelligence. And it's not just the mega rich with taxes. The staggering stat on just how many Americans may be stiffing Uncle Sam. It is Friday, August 20th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching us. Happy Friday. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get right out of the markets and your money and how they are looking in futures. Kind of looking like it did yesterday, which was an interesting day. We are seeing Dow futures off 157 right now. S&P futures down about 19. But despite the fact we had big losses at this hour yesterday... The S&P snapped a two-day losing streak, actually squeaked out a very small gain. Same with the NASDAQ. Buyers came in around 10 or 11 a.m. The Dow did buck that, ending the day lower as well. All three major indexes are looking at losses, though, for the week, with the Dow and S&P on track to post their worst weekly performances, well, since June. Not too far away. The NASDAQ set to see its worst week since May, though. Still, hey, yesterday we had a tough week or tough morning, and guess what? Stocks rose. It's been a bad week, though, for oil. Oil down about 6.5% so far this week. Crude oil right now at 63.41. Same goes for some big names in the oil group. ExxonMobil, Chevron, others down more than 7% on the week. Marathon down 8%. That's the trade right now. We want to see the weekly trade, so we're not really seeing a move now. But overall in the week, Occidental down nearly 15% this week. And let's take a look at some of the cryptos as well, because they've been volatile too. But right now we are seeing not a huge move in the cryptos. In fact, maybe a little gain. Ethereum up about 2%. Bitcoin up about one half of 1%. All right. As the name of the show implies, let's go worldwide now. Juliana Tatawam is on our London newsroom with a look at the early trade there and some of the top stories. Juliana, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Well, it's been a really interesting end to the week here in Europe. Coming into today's, uh, coming into yesterday's session, rather, European markets had outperformed their U.S. counterparts, proving a lot more resilient 
throughout the course of the week. But that all changed yesterday. We saw heavy selling across Europe, in particular in the French market, luxury names selling off really heavily. So now coming into the session today, European markets are underperforming the U.S. over the week and the losses are continuing. So the French market down a further third of a percent this morning. We have bounced off the lows, but more red on the board. And yesterday, the French market dropped about 2.4 percent. So pretty difficult trading period. The German market, the DAX down about a third of a percent. Uh, The FTSE 100 here in the U.K. down nearly two tenths of a percent. We got some disappointing retail sales data in the U.K. today. July retail sales coming in much lower than expected. So investors in the U.K. digesting that data. Also, U.K. grocers firmly in focus today. So I want to highlight for you two names in particular that investors are watching. Marks and Spencers. Here's how shares are trading more than 10 percent higher. The company lifted its full year outlook after its food and clothing divisions continue to outperform. The British retailer says food revenue increased by nearly 11 percent and international revenue up nearly 40 percent compared to last year. Morrison's, the British supermarket group, has agreed to a sweetened seven billion pound bid from U.S. private equity group CDNR. The fresh offer values Morrison's at a 60 percent premium on the share price before deal interest became clear in June. And as a result, Morrison's dropped its recommendation for a lower offer from Fortress Investment Group. So a bidding war has taken place for Morrison's today. Investors seem to like what's on the table. Shares up 4.2 percent. Brian. Oh, what a little bit of the green on the screen. Not a lot else. Juliana Tottenbaum in London, thank you very much. All right, back stateside, let's get some of this morning's top stories on this Friday, including an unexpected leadership change at Johnson & Johnson. Christina Partsanevalos is here with that and more. Christina, good morning. Ah, good morning and happy Friday. Johnson & Johnson, though, announcing Alex Gorski will be stepping down as the company's CEO. So Gorski says he's making the move, which is set to take effect at the beginning of next year to focus more on his family due to his family health reasons. After nine years as CEO, he will transition, though, to executive chairman. And he will be replaced by Joaquin Duato, who previously served as vice chairman of the company's executive committee. He'll also be appointed a member of Johnson & Johnson's board of directors. So he will be keeping busy. And Tesla, formally unveiling its own custom chip for artificial intelligent networks in its data centers. The chip, unveiled as part of Tesla's AI day, was designed and built entirely in-house as part of its Dojo AI system to help automate driving. That system is expected to be operational next year. And Elon Musk also unveiling Tesla's humanoid robot prototype at the event. Musk says the robot will be used for, quote, dangerous, repetitive or boring work that people don't like to do. He said the machine will likely launch next year. And China has approved a sweeping privacy law aimed at curbing wide-ranging data collection by technology companies. That law is set to take effect in November or on November 1st. It comes amid frustrations within the government and in Chinese society over online fraud, data theft, and data collection by domestic technology giants. And that's why you're seeing shares of several of those tech giants posting steep losses across the board, and that's been an ongoing development that we've seen across uh, all Chinese companies, especially even KWeb, the ETF, Brian. China cracking down on data privacy issues there, but we'll see what, what, what if any, moves are made here. Christina Partsanevolos. Christina, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right, well, let's get back now to the markets and what has already been a very turbulent week. It's like day eight of the week, right? But your next guest says, fear not. Well, volatility likely set to stick around for the next couple of months. Stocks will ultimately 
prevail. Tiffany McGee is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Pivotal Advisors and a CNBC contributor. And last night, Tiffany, you and I were both up late and you tweeted out. You said there are two things that investors should be focused on right now. What are those two things? First of all, Brian, it's good to be back. And I don't know how you stay up so late and get up so early. Um, so, yeah, I do believe stocks are higher. And you mentioned it at the top of the show. It's getting harder and harder to watch markets these days, especially what's been going on in the past two days. We have so many different factors, Delta, the Fed. Uh, inflation, supply chain. And so I think that we have to recognize that a lot of these things are temporary, right? And so investors, um, you know, kind of sitting at home watching all this uh, and probably cringing really need to be thinking about these two things, right? So the first thing is having a strategy. And it does not sound really exciting, right? When we're always on CNBC talking about these, you know, really great names that are moving so fast and so far. Um, But really, you know, having a disciplined investment strategy is really, really important, right? So it helps you to uh, make decisions about your portfolio in times like this. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, I'm sorry, the first thing in the strategy is to have a strategy. Then asset allocation, um, you know, it's kind of like Series 7 101 uh, for, for, for investment professionals. Asset allocation contributes a bulk of um, uh, a bulk of the return of the portfolio. So it's very, very important getting that right mix of stocks and bonds and different asset classes, uh, uh, style and growth and things like that. Then also diversification. Of course, diversification um, of your portfolio can really reduce the risk in your portfolio. And then really thinking about time horizon, um, the longer the time horizon, you have uh, more, uh, more months, more years uh, actually to recover and recoup those losses. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is really thinking about themes, right? And so, you know, I like to kind of classify things in in, in themes so I can really wrap my head around what's going on in the markets and really what I want to buy. So in terms of buying individual stocks, so this is the more exciting stuff, right? So I'm thinking about companies that can do well in both reopen mode and stay-at-home environment. I'm calling these like the hybrid trade, right? So, you know, later with the stay-at-home versus reopen trade, this is the hybrid trade. And really, I put Disney in this category, right? So, you know, their Disney Plus business is growing like a small cap company, right? Um, So it really doesn't matter what environment we're in. Disney's going to really do well between Parks and Disney Plus. And then, of course, names that are expected to go to grow faster than the index. And I put Chipotle in that category, Brian. Uh, it's expected to grow 138% for this year. So there yeah. we go. Well, Strategy listen, Tiffany, you know, and, uh, first things. off, I, 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 love you getting, I love you getting up early as well. And, and, I, and I love the optimism because it is important to remember that as bad as the headlines are with COVID and Delta and whatever the next variant or the next variant after that is, this will be over at some point. So I, I love that macro optimism. And, and it sounds like you believe that even with concerns over, you know, quote, reopening, Disney is a long-term hold. Because, you know, there's, there's more negative headlines to come as the fall comes back to school and maybe, maybe another surge, maybe the final surge, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it is the final surge, but the good news is that we've done this before. Businesses know how to operate in this kind of like lockdown environment and, of course, this kind of, um, you know, reopen environment and everything in between. So, you know, we've been here before. We hope that this bump is not as big as the bump last year. Um, and, you know, we, this, again, this too is going to pass. 
Yeah, we need to hear that. I mean, because and also not just from a human perspective, an emotional perspective, but an investing perspective. There will be a time when, when this is certainly behind us. Also, I just want to refresh because you kind of threw it in there toward the end and I might have stepped on you. I apologize, Tiffany. Chipotle, another name that you like. Yeah. Yeah, Chipotle. I mean, so I, when I think about how Chipotle was really um, able to pivot in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, they had this robust loyalty program. Customers are ordering from their cell phones. Um, you know, in Ch- Chipotle re- uh, reported in the second quarter um, a spike in earnings growth of 1,765 percent. That is crazy. And the expectation is that for the entire year, it's going to grow. It's estimated to grow about 138%. So really kind of picking those names that uh, are, are expected to grow faster than the index. Tiffany McGee, Pivotal Advisors, watching CMG, DIS, and we're watching you. Our first guest on a Friday. Tiffany, a real pleasure to have you back on again. Have a great day and a great weekend. Brian. Thank you. You too. All right, take care. All right, we got a lot more to do on this Friday. And when we come back, your big money movers, including why shares of Lordstown Motors are in the news. And speaking of electric autos, are you wondering about what it's like to road trip in one? We did it. We hit the road. And we're going to show you what it's like to take a road trip in a non-Tesla electric car. Plus, your exclusive weekly insider buying segment with one company you may never have heard about having a board member make a $3.5 million buy. The name ahead, a lot more to do. We are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the morning. Let's go. Stock number one, Applied Materials. Topping earnings estimates in the second quarter and giving a fairly rosy revenue forecast for the current period. Still, again, good, not good enough. Stock down 2%. Stock number two, Ross Stores. Its second quarter earnings blowing past estimates. Sales, they jumped 75%. Stimulus checks and higher vaccination rates helping to increase foot traffic. But again, that stock down almost 5%. And stock number three, Lordstown Motors. Another new low for the electric truck maker. A move coming after management wrapped up its annual shareholders meeting after just about 10 minutes. Executives confirming plans, though, for limited production of the electric endurance pickup truck beginning next month, but provided no new information. Still, the stock up nearly 3%, but under 5 bucks. 
The stock is down 75% this year. Ouch. All right, on deck. It's the end of an era for baseball. As the league cutting ties with one collectible card maker and a new kid on the block, throwing a bit of a curveball at that decades-old partnership. Today's big number, 881%. That was the jump in global cryptocurrency adoption over the past year, according to data by Chainalysis. The countries that saw the biggest increase, Vietnam, India, and Pakistan. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning. Let us stay on a story that we've been following for you for the past year, and that is supply chains, because now there are more headaches for global shippers. Congestion and wait times are building again at one of China's biggest ports. It is due to a COVID-related shutdown of a port called Ningbo, third biggest in the country. And it's unclear when the port, also, by the way, one of the biggest in the world, will reopen. Now, all this just adds another problem for American companies looking to get their goods shipped to America. Let's bring in now Mohammed Fadil. He is VP of Global Business Development for Petrochemicals at Argus Media. Mohammed, good to have you on. Uh, I understand this is not like last year, you know, massive shutdowns for weeks or longer. But still, given the backlog, I mean, any disruption has got to be, for lack of a better term, incredibly disrupting. What can you tell us? Absolutely. First and foremost, thanks for having me, Brian. Indeed, after Shanghai and Singapore, this is one of the busiest container ports, not just in China, but in the world. Ningbo handled 16 million containers in the first half of this year. Meishan, which is the terminal that's currently impacted, was closed on August 11 after a positive COVID case. So Beilun is used as an alternative terminal, and we understand that waiting times are averaging three to four days. In the last 48 hours, the situation in Meishan, I would say, is fluid. We understand that we are hearing from a lot of encouraging information that, that there's potential easing from the original two weeks. But I would add that any opening up would likely be phased and done cautiously. China, of course, continues to take a strict view on COVID-19, especially with the Delta variant being more transmissible. If you remember as well, Brian, earlier this year, a similar lockdown at Yantian port also impacted shipping lines and petrochemical exports. And just to provide some context for your audience, Meishan handles close to a fifth of total cargoes in Ningbo. This includes toys, electronics, appliances, Christmas gifts and decorations. So basically what you're saying is, Mohammed, that uh, as we've said before, by the way, only half joking, buy your holiday gifts now because, <laughs> because they may not make it here. How long do we think or how much of a disruption do we think this is ultimately going to be? Uh, absolutely. Um, looking ahead to December 25th, there's no simple solution, Brian. This year has been tough. Supply chains for petrochemicals and finished products are fragile, and the shipping infrastructure globally has been put to the test. 
I'm sure, you know, even earlier this year, your viewers would remember the iconic image in March of the evergreen vessel wedge along the Suez Canal. Well, I can say this, Brian, when you talk about Christmas, it comes to manufacturing, particularly of petrochemical products. China is known in the industry as the world's factory. And the timing of this Ningbo closure is not ideal, as you say. If product needs to make to the U.S. shelves in time for Christmas, this is the window for Chinese manufacturers. And let's not forget, we have six weeks before the China Golden Week holiday in October. So the supply chain situation is delicate in view of Finnish product cargoes bound for Europe and for the US. And in just 10 days, we'll also see typhoon season in Northeast Asia. So potentially another disruption. Yeah, I mean, Mohammed, let's talk about it because th- this is a story that I think is a little bit big. It's not exactly, you know, on the front headlines and people can say, well, why do I care about this? The state at which supply chains and shipping is already disrupted, even if this is not the biggest deal in the world, any hit is, I think, a big deal. Is that fair to say? Given the way things are already, 20000 bucks for a shipping container when it's normally 3000 Absolutely. Ryan, rates are hitting all-time high, and this affects everyone. Transit times are taking longer. We spoke about China. China has had to adapt. The world also has to, have to adapt to the pandemic. But what I would also call hyperinflation in free costs, we must recognize that no sector is immune to this. And this has a direct impact on commodity prices and freight costs globally continue to rise because of container shortages driven by congestion. If we look at the U.S. as well, closer to where you are, congestion has been building up in Los Angeles, Southern California and the U.S. East Coast. It's not just COVID-19, Brian. It's labor shortages, knock-on port delays, summer holidays and climate conditions. As I'm sure you've reported just today, Northeast American ports are preparing for storm conditions ahead of tropical storm Henry, which could in fact strengthen. In Mexico as well, we see Hurricane Grace, Category 1, which made landfall on the country's Yucatan Peninsula yesterday. Mohammed Fadil of Argus Media. Mohammed, it's an important story. We appreciate you coming on, my friend. Thank you. Have a great day and a good weekend. Talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. Right, folks, we've said it. Get those Christmas gifts now. We're not kidding. Trust me. All right. In the meantime, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines, including more on the dire situation still on the ground in Afghanistan. Philip Menes in New York now with that and more. Philip, good morning. Hey, Brian, good morning. Yeah, we start with the chaos in Afghanistan, where the checkpoint to enter Kabul airport has turned into a gauntlet for thousands trying to escape. Check out this video here. It appears to show a baby being handed off to troops and pulled to safety over a barbed wire wall. The desperation there is reaching a breaking point. All right, let's turn now to Tropical Storm Henri, which could pose a big threat to New England later this weekend. That storm is expected to develop into a hurricane, and based on the latest track, heavy rain bands from Henri may be forming over Long Island and New York City by Sunday morning, and then skirt dangerously close to New England. And with the wet weather, it's probably a good idea to stay inside this weekend. Luckily for parents with young kids, Paw Patrol is ready to roll out onto the big screen this weekend. The movie adaptation of the toddler sensation will also be available on Paramount+. Plus. That's it from here, Brian. Have a great weekend. I'll send it back to you. All right, Philip, we, we certainly will. And I'll, given I have a, a young boy, I'll probably be at the movies this weekend. Philip, thank you very much. All right. All right, on deck. 
back to the office. We'll maybe put that on the back burner. As more companies say you can work from home for longer, we'll tell you the latest companies to say stay home for now. Dow futures down 140. We're back right after this. A week end to the week. Futures, they are down again. But could we get another Thursday-like turnaround today? The rise of the Musk machines and Tesla going full Blade Runner and rolling out a robot. Plus, are you thinking about buying an electric car but wondering what it's like to drive one on a long road trip? We've got your back because we did just that. And we're going to show you all ahead on WEX on this Friday, August 20th. Dow futures down 127. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning, everybody. Just about 530 on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us here. Let's get a check on your Friday money as stocks ended the day Thursday a lot different than they began it. I remember, you know, 24 hours ago when futures were down big, what, 250 down 300 on the Dow. A buyer stepped in in late morning. The S&P snapping a two day losing streak on Thursday and actually squeaked out a gain. Same with the Nasdaq. The Dow, not the case. It did in the day down a bit. We are down about 138 on the Dow right now, but we'll see. Look at the fair value. We could have a green open ultimately through the day. All right. Will you be back in the office this fall? Well, maybe not. More big companies are pushing back their timeline. Let's hear more about that and more. Christina Partsonevelos is back with more key headlines. Christina. Yeah, I want to know because I've never met you in person, Brian. So I'm wondering, will you be back? But I'll get to that. You can, you can answer so. that in a second. So let's I start with so. Apple, actually. So according to reports, it's delaying its mandatory return to its corporate offices until January, citing rising COVID cases. Workers had been slated to come back starting in October. And then you've got Charles Schwab also pushing back its return to office plans until after the new year. But it also it announced it's giving most of its employees a special 5% pay raise to reward them for their hard work during the pandemic. And IBM is temporarily closing its offices here in New York City due to rising COVID cases. According to Bloomberg, only essential staff will be able to come into that building. The company has not indicated its plans to delay reopening other U.S. locations next month. And Bill Ackman says he's ready to return the $4 billion he collected from investors for his SPAC. In a letter to his Pershing Square investors, Ackman says he'll make that move if regulators approve a new vehicle that will allow him to continue to search for deals without the pressure of a definitive deadline for a transaction. He added that a lawsuit filed this week challenging the legality of his blank check company has hurt the prospects of finding a deal. And Major League Baseball is ending its 70-year deal with tops to make trading cards. Sources tell CNBC the league is expected to partner with sports apparel maker Fanatics for the collectibles. And the current deal with tops wraps up in 2025. Tops is expected to go public later this year via, of course, a SPAC deal with Mudrick Capital. Brian? Yeah, watching all those cards there as well. Let's talk back to the office as well. Christina, I look forward to meeting you. I know, listen... You're going to say what everybody, everybody I meet in person, by the way, thanks to everybody who's so nice and kind out there. The first thing everybody says to me when they meet me, that you know what they say? You're How much wonderful taller you are. Oh, you're then you look on. Oh, no, no. They, they say we don't like you that much, but you are much taller than you look on TV. So apparently on television, I, I don't know what I look like 
you know, but again, but but I, I, I look forward to getting back in the office, meeting you, seeing the team again, and eating. I don't know if the, the cafeteria is open there. Not Some yet. of the world famous CNBC tater tots. Have you had any yet? I mean, they're legendary. No, I have not. It's see, for those that come in early like us right now at 5 a.m. here, um, nothing is open. Absolutely nothing. And I've looked. I had just not, had a few nuts at my desk. I'm starving, and I'll just have to wait for tater tots, clearly. Wait, yeah, it, it, I think it's. it was 6 a.m. I think that it's open, 7 a.m. Yes. I do believe, though, I'll be back in the office next week. So I look oh, forward wow. to seeing everybody. Oh, wow. Well, Christina. that's a first, given everybody else is uh, slowing things down. But, yes. I look forward to it. Uh, well, you know, I, I like I like to roll against the grain. Everybody's in, I'm out. Everybody's out, I'm in. That's how I, that's how I roll, Christina, and that's the beauty of Brian Sullivan. Oh my God, talking in third person. I say to myself, <laughs> oh. oh my gosh, that's... <laughs> happy Friday, Christina. Thank you very much. You look tall. Bye. Oh, I thank you. I'm going to pay for that. All right, let's talk Tesla, because they had their Artificial Intelligence Day on Thursday. I need a little bit of that. And they made a few headlines. First, Tesla doing a very Tesla-like thing and announcing its own microchip. But also, maybe going full Blade Runner, saying they will build a human-like robot. But have no fear, because Elon Musk says the Tesla bots will be less Terminator, maybe more C-3PO. He says it will be designed to perform manual labor, It'll be five foot eight and can be, quote, overpowered if necessary. And also apparently will not require tater tots. From Willis Bray and Andrew Hawkins, senior transportation reporter at The Verge. Uh, Andrew, okay, we, this thing is not rolled out yet. They haven't even started building it, so who knows if it'll ever happen. But if it does, is this a, is this a threat to all humanity? That's not the way that Elon Musk was portraying it yesterday. As you noted, he said that it could be easily overpowered, which I guess is some comfort. I, uh, but he also said that you could probably easily run away from it, too. The top speed of the robot would only be five miles per hour. Uh, if you could run faster than five miles per hour, I don't think you really have anything to worry about from Tesla's new robot. He said that there's going to be a prototype coming out next year. Uh, we have to take that, I think, with a little bit of a grain of salt because uh, things run on Tesla time. They don't always tend to meet their deadlines when they say they will. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see if this thing actually comes out when Elon says it's going to. OK, this Andrew, I run maybe at six miles an hour. But guess what? I get tired. The robot doesn't. So I can outrun it for short distances. And then I stand with my hands on my knees, catching my wind. And the Tesla robot comes up and tears my head off. No. What else can you tell us about Artificial Intelligence Day? The robot's going to get all the headlines, very muskian, if you will. But Tesla investors care more about what they're actually doing with the car. Was there any headlines around the car? So uh, the, the robot, obviously, yes, was, was sort of the splashy reveal at the end of what was a very long and very technical overview of what Tesla is working on when it comes to artificial intelligence. Uh, the uh, the software that powers its full self-driving feature uh, that it has uploaded in uh, several thousand of its vehicles that's hoping to roll it out to even more customers that own Teslas uh, starting this summer. Uh, and this is a feature that, uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, what Tesla says allows the car to, to drive itself uh, under uh, some some conditions. Now the, the drivers need to continue to pay attention. They need to keep their hands on the on the on the steering wheel, and they need to keep their eyes on the road. 
Uh, so in that sense, it's not a full autonomous car. There has been some confusion around how Tesla markets its products. But, you know, Tesla has been sort of at the vanguard of pushing uh, autonomy uh, to its customers. A lot of other companies are working on autonomous uh, vehicles as well, but they keep them limited to test vehicles, to uh, employees that, uh, that work at their companies, not to customers. Tesla has shown a lot more willingness to push beta software on its customers. Uh, and that's raised some, some scrutiny, some skepticism. We've got just this week, there was a, a, a news about investigations into Tesla's autopilot, why they keep crashing into uh, emergency vehicles. Uh, there were several Democratic senators that came out and said they wanted the, uh, the FTC to investigate Tesla's autopilot. Uh, so it was a really interesting time to get this really sort of technical information dump from Tesla uh, that I think a lot of uh, people who are, are uh, experts in the field of AI will be picking through uh, in the, the, the days and weeks yeah. to come to find more details. And we're, we're showing video while you talk, Andrew, of people taking their hands off the wheel and smiling smugly. I think maybe don't do that, given some of that as well. Is this robot, you think very quickly, you think the robot is actually going to happen? Uh, I, I think, you know, with Tesla and with Elon Musk, you always have to hold out for the possibility that these things will happen. As fantastical as they sound, as absurd as, as he makes it out to be, if you, if you watched the presentation last night, uh, you know, before he announced this robot, there was a person dressed as a robot doing kind of a funny dance on the stage. Uh, and Tesla, and, you know, Elon said, this is actually going to happen. Uh, so you, you always have to hold out for that possibility because while there have been projects yeah. in the past, that haven't happened, this could very well be something that appears at your door knocking, saying hello at some point in the future. Uh, you, you buried the lead. You said funny dancing. It just makes you think about that Musk video from a couple of years ago. There, there always seems to be some sort of weird dance on these stages. Andrew Hawkins of The Verge. Andrew, we appreciate your time. Have a good Friday. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So that is more on Tesla, the undisputed king of electric cars. They've got basically nearly all the market share. But every car company is either in the game or getting in the game, rolling out their own electric cars or trucks. And those cars will use a different charging network than Tesla, which has, of course, a huge head start building out fast and convenient charging. So as somebody who is personally poking around buying an electric car, I had a lot of questions about charging. How fast is it? How much does it cost outside the home? How easy is it to find? Well, the only way to find out is to find out. So producer Harriet Taylor and I took a road trip in a Volvo Polestar 2 from the California desert to San Francisco. We recorded everything, every charging stop along the way and all the details. And what we learned was that AVs maybe are really a real estate play. Here's the conundrum and the opportunity around electric cars on longer road trips. We're at 43% charge, been here like eight minutes. Now what do we do? We're probably gonna be here another 25 minutes. It's hot. The sun is beating down here in Fireball, California. The only sit-down restaurant, not looking so good. Got fast food. Here's the point. I think the opportunity around electric cars is gonna be the infrastructure of human things to do, not charging. You can build that out easy. But having a place to sit down, maybe something to buy, place to shop, that is going to be the ultimate electric car opportunity. Now, we looked across the road, and the Tesla supercharging station had a roof on it. I think it was a solar roof, but the point is, it had shade. 
It was like eight or nine cars there. The owners seemed to be laughing and talking to each other. If you're stopping there with two or three kids in 100 degrees for 45 minutes, you're going to get really annoyed really quickly. And meantime, we're watching people pull up, fill up their cars or their trucks with gas in five minutes and drive off and kind of looking at them longingly. By the way, that stop took us about 40 minutes to add about 50% of a charge. So listen, that's the key. You need to have a place to stop, something to do on the road while the car is charging. Now, the car was great for short trips, fast, fun to drive, whatever. But longer, maybe the EVs are still some work to do on the infrastructure. Anyway, that is just a short clip. There's a lot more to our piece. In fact, I also wrote up something on it as well. In this road trip, it took a couple weeks ago. It's all available on CNBC.com, a seven-minute video showing all the details, charging times, cost, whatever. If you've got questions, hopefully we've got answers. That sounds like a corporate slogan. It might actually be. Anyway, go to CNBC.com, check them both out. I'll push them out on my MySpace page a little bit later on. All right, coming up, the number of Americans saying thanks but no thanks when it comes to paying taxes on the rise. You won't believe the number of people that are paying zero dollars to the federal government. Robert Frank is up with that coming up. All right, welcome back. Well, as the old saying goes, there are three things that are certain in life, and one of them is taxes, but maybe not so certain for tens of millions of Americans who were able to avoid paying Uncle Sam federal income taxes last year. Robert Frank joining us now with more in the story, which always these kinds of stories, Robert, they generate, shall we call it, a lot of passion from all sides. That's a nice yes. word, passion. Yes, a lively debate, a lively debate, Brian. Well, if you look at last year, mm. you got high unemployment stimulus checks and those tax credits that meant for the first time most Americans paid zero federal income taxes. About 107 million households, or 61% of all taxpayers, paid no federal taxes or, in fact, got credits from the government. That is up from about 44% in 2019. Now, no household earning less than $28,000 a year paid any taxes. If you look at the middle class, 43% paid no federal taxes. Those numbers are expected to remain high even this year, 2021. 57% of Americans will pay no federal income taxes this year. But it is expected to fall back to the normal rate of around 43 to 44% starting in 2022. Now, in dollar terms, the top 10% of taxpayers paid about 71% of all federal income taxes. And if you look at the top 1%, they paid a record 40%, which is twice their share of total income. Now, the number of Americans who paid no federal income taxes has more than doubled over the past 30 years. In 1990, only about 21% of Americans paid zero federal income tax. Pre-pandemic, it was back up to 44%. Even those who don't pay federal income taxes, though, do often pay payroll taxes. They also pay state and local sales taxes, property income taxes. So, Brian, a lot of people say, well, look, these people did pay taxes, some taxes, and that is true, but 61% of Americans paying zero federal income taxes last year. There's so much to unpack here. And, and to your point, it will revert back. But still, you've got almost half the country with no net effective. And that's the key. 
the words net effective federal income taxes. They pay payroll, pay state, sales, local. We get it. But remember, federal taxes, income taxes go to defense. They go to funding the FDA. They go to those things. And people, Robert, they have such a misunderstanding. If you make, and I'm going to say something, probably whatever. If you make $100,000 a year, have two kids and a mortgage, your federal net income tax bill is probably zero. And I know people look at it, no way. Look it up. It's probably zero. Make it 100 grand a year, maybe in Des Moines, Iowa or whatever. Right. Between the standard deduction and that uh, increase in the child income tax credit and those tax credits, look, when you look at what's going to happen in the coming years, because the tax policy center, which came out with this data, said, look, this is a one time event. It's going to revert back. But that assumes that none of these tax credits that we have now, including that child tax credit, is is going to remain. So if those remain and, and they may be part of the reconciliation bill, then it could remain that half of the country or more than half the country does not pay for the general operations of their government. And I think everyone, even on the yeah. left, would agree that's a problem. When a majority of Americans are not contributing to paying for our government, that creates all kinds of problems. But, but, all, you, but all you hear is, well, the rich aren't doing their fair share. I don't know. Maybe they could pay more. Who knows? And then every politician, by the way, of both parties gets up and say, we're not going to raise middle class taxes. I'm like, it's hard to raise them from zero. I mean, state and local have yeah. gone up. Yeah. But from a federal net effective, the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, a left leaning think tank, has noted middle class federal income taxes are at all time lows. They've never been lower. And yet politicians get up and go, well, right. oh, we're not going to raise them. Well, they're already low. I, I don't know. Why do I... Robert Frank. See, even you got emotional. You said to the producers that I would be into this story because I get worked up and you were right. (laughs) We all do. Robert, thank you. All right. Appreciate that. Speaking of big money, our exclusive insider buying segment is next. I hope to be here after the break. Stick around. All right. Time now for your weekly insider buying segment, our exclusive look at the five companies whose C-suite bigwigs bought the most of their own stock last week, and some really interesting and new names this week. And as always, we count you down five to one. All right, let's go. According to InsiderScore.com, the fifth most insider buying, Elanco Animal Health. Chairman of the board there, about $313,000 worth. Also pay attention. The CEO bought a bunch last week. Number four, Ball Corp. Insider buying worth $355,000. By the way, It was one of four different insider buys at Ball this week. Stock number three, Comscope Holding. The chairman there buying $991,000 worth of the digital networking company, ticker COMM. The second most insider buying this week, Fiserv. A board member there buying $1.39 million worth, matching a buy of similar size back in January. So really $2.8 million by the same insider in about eight months. Watch that space. And the most insider buying this week is a big $3.5 million buy at Tivity Health. Who? Exactly. Never heard of them. It's a Franklin, Tennessee-based health company. They've got brands like Silver Sneakers and Prime Fitness. And this is the board members' first ever inside buy. TV, TY. So the names to watch? Elanco, Ball, Comscope, Fiserv, and Tivity Health. Just a reminder, we do this almost every Friday 
And you'll only see it here on WEX. All right, let's stay on stocks and your money and bring in Julian Emanuel, BTIG's chief equity and derivatives strategist. Julian, it's a pleasure to get you uh, back on. Listen, we've been a little bit weak the last couple of days, not making too much of it. We haven't had a 5% downturn in the S&P since all the way back in October. Do you think we will finally get one? We think it's likely, Brian. Look, I mean, you look at 2021, buy and hold investors have got to be very pleased so far. And and frankly, that's against the backdrop of the last several years, higher volatility. And so for us, when we think about the last month or so, you had these uh, elements to combine that make it likely that you're going to have a little bit of a pullback here. Uh, Essentially, what we've seen is the volatility index, which we're very sensitive to, rally at the same time that you've had the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq rally together. That happened last August. You pulled back in September. It's happened on several other occasions, uh, essentially pullback. When you combine that with the uh, Michigan sentiment data that was surprisingly weak last Friday and saw retail sales come in weak and some of the housing data come in weak, while the Fed is still considering tapering, which we think you know, perhaps they should have started already, but they're likely uh, to do that before the end of the year, you put it all together with geopolitical uncertainty equals the potential for a pullback. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, John Najarian was on yesterday. I tweeted out that I thought the rise of the VIX and maybe the market's weakness did not have as much to do with the Fed as geopolitics or U.S. politics. Would you agree with that? And feel free not to. Well, it's difficult to disentangle. It's one of these times where, again, you know, we looked at the first week and a half or so of August, expecting typically quiet conditions that we often get uh, prior to September, which tends to be the most volatile month of the year. Uh, But all of these elements came together. And we would, again, focus on that Michigan sentiment survey. When you've had drops like that in the past, and if you think about 50 years worth of data, this is the seventh largest monthly drop on record. You've had volatility follow those other six instances. So to us, frankly, if you're a long-term investor, this is something you should be patient and be willing to -hmm. think about buying if you do get this pullback. You know, you just heard the insider buying. We talked about Tivity Health as kind of a sideways healthcare company, but from from a sort of more traditional healthcare company perspective, everybody seems to hate it. They like the vaccine makers, and that's about it, Julian. Why is healthcare being thrown in the trash heap? I, I think, Ryan, there's been this uh, overriding concern that legislation uh, in, in a democratic run government in particular might be you know, more regulatory with regard to health care. The way we think about it right now is that you're trading at a significant discount, but health care has two very important aspects to it. It tends to be immune to changes in interest rates, which are likely on the way. And more importantly, because of the domestic focus, tends to not care about geopolitics. We think that healthcare is one of those sectors that you can buy uh, into this pullback should it occur. Buying healthcare into any pullback should it occur and maybe a healthy pullback if we get one. Julian Emanuel, BTIG. Julian, it's a pleasure to have you on. Happy Friday. Have a great weekend. Chat with you soon. Thank you. See you too. All right. And folks, that's it for us here on Worldwide Exchange on a Friday, leaving you with Dow futures down 150 points. But like yesterday, anything can happen. I hope you happen to have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday morning. Take care.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 